Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, financial statements and the beginnings of ratio analysis. Before I do that, as part of our continuing obligation to get you folks involved in the RSOs here on campus, I'm bringing in one of our business fraternities, uh, one, of our, uh, one of the fine ones that we have here, and uh, I'm going to give them time to promote your, your rushes tomorrow night. Yeah. So this is a short pull. This one's a good one. This one's one that embraces a lot of different ma majors and they are willing to overlook your flaws as long as you're not a mass murderer or something like that. They get a little fussy when I bring people like that to them. But anyway, take it away. Good friends. Hey everyone, I'm Louise. Here we go. The um, topic today is grim accounting and I'm going to do a couple of uh, to finish up chapter three, that mostly is to help you. Wait. Uh, mostly just to help you with uh, some of the homework in chapter three. If you get stalled in the weeds on it, it's not really hard accounting. It's mostly just puzzles arithmetic, and which is sort of one of the big dominating things in. Uh, in accounting. So don't take it too seriously. And on an exam or a quiz, uh, I won't beat you to death with accounting principles and all that. Just basically, you can get the homework done. I'm sure you'll be fine on the quiz. Not that I'm going to give you a quiz on Wednesday, but I am going to give you a quiz on Wednesday. It's a surprise quiz, so I would encourage you to be surprised by it. Now we look at the numbers for a few minutes here just to make ourselves happy. And, um, well, just starting out. Is this a bull day or a bear day? Bull. Bull. Yeah, you're still not getting that bull in there. Yes, that's a bull day. Now, I can't see worth a darn. Okay, a bull day, it's a fairly strong one. You notice the classic pattern. The Dow, the ginormous lumbering giants of the earth, up a quarter of a percent. The S&P 500, up two thirds of a percent. And the NASDAQ, rip snorting up a 1.14%. Again, the smaller the companies, the more volatile, the more reactive they are to economic news, good or bad. And the news today is actually fairly good. We're uh, mainly, it's about the um, picture on inflation and and the growth rate of the economy. The growth rate of the economy was uh, for the last quarter was revised a little downward. The, uh, the job market is still hot, but it's cooling off, and inflation is sort of actually behaving like it's under control. It's coming under control. Those factors tend to make the markets expect that the Federal Reserve will not jack interest rates up much more. And as long as interest rates stay fairly stable, 
that's a good news for the economy and so investors are willing to put blood into the equities game and that's what you're seeing here to some extent you notice that crude oil it it's try it looks to me like it's got a resistance at 89 or 88 a barrel and it's tried to make runs at it but it doesn't quite want to break through it so we are fairly stable gasoline prices as i had mentioned uh last week we have a lot of gasoline and distillates in the uh, supply line, so you're not going to see gas prices jump much uh, over the next couple of weeks, even though the price of oil is up over what it was a month ago, thanks to the Russians and the Saudis agreeing to cut production. As I said, no one is expecting that production cut to last very long. Anyway, so we got that. Now over here, here's some fun. Gold, gold bugs were getting a little excited there today, but they calmed down by the end of the day. So gold was quiet. Silver, up a little bit. Now here's one that's um, important, bond. The bond yields were up three basis points, which means the prices were down. Prices would be down because investors are getting out of bonds. Well, where are they taking them, putting the money that they get out of selling bonds? Well, there it is. You know, they're putting it into equities. That's a positive sign. Bonds are a safe haven. Equities are risky, open waters, and the investors are willing to get their ships out of the safe haven of bonds and put that money into the uh, open seas. That's good news. There's positive sentiment. However, if you look at the S&P 500 volume for the day, versus the average. We still have weak volume. The big dogs are still wait and see on it. See how the average day over the last year, the volume is, was about 3.8 billion shares. Today, the volume was only 2.3 billion, 2.1 billion. So that's indication that there's still a lot of uh, reserve holding in cash right now just to see what happens next. Let me move over here a little bit. Um, where, where the hell? Oh, uh, back here. Uh, now, coming back over here, one last pointer to make. Uh, I'll look at the markets here in a minute, but uh, the foreign markets. But notice Europe, the euro, and the pound sterling both appreciated against the dollar today. That is mostly the result of that same. Uh, Thing with interest rates. U.S. interest rates don't look like they're going to go up anymore. Interest rates are the price of money. So if the price of U.S. dollars is not going up, then other currencies which have higher interest rates expected will strengthen against the dollar. And so we see it. The euro strengthened, the pound, the British pound strengthened, and the yen uh, the yen strengthened. It looks like the yen fell. That's because the yen is quoted backwards, because uh, yen are such a tiny fraction of a dollar that we have to quote them backwards so that we're not working in super decimals and all that. But both, all three of the major currencies, they appreciated against the dollar because U.S. interest rates aren't expected to go up much more but the interest rates in other countries are. 
So their currencies are going to get stronger against the dollar. I'll keep saying that and then I'll formally introduce it later in the course. London, it started out bullish, but you notice the bulls lost their steam. We, London didn't go into negative territory, but it sure did kind of fizzle out from the initial bull run there. And the Nikkei, it was just grouchy all day. Grouchy, it wasn't anything major. I mean, it finished down less than half a percent, so it's just the Japanese were in a bad mood about something or other. Now let me take you over and do a couple of companies here for you. Um, let me do Colgate Palmolive just to start this off. CL. Very modest beta, safe. Less than half of the volatility on an average day. The returns had half the volatility of the world portfolio. That's a very safe stock. P-E ratio indicates somewhat overvalued. And the earnings per share is $1.79. In other words, net income divided by the number of shares outstanding was $1.79. Now here is the curiosity. They, have, they pay a dividend. But the dividend this year will be $1.92. But wait a minute, the com company earned only $1.79. It's going to give a dividend more than what it earned for the shareholders. That's unusual that a company would actually, it took in $1.79 a share, and it's going to give back to the shareholders $1.92 of that. Now that's strange. In other words, they're going to actually have to dip into their retained earnings to pay the dividend. Why would a company ever do that? Why would it pay a dividend more than what the company earned for the shareholders? And that's for you. I'm asking you, what would drive a company to do something that's silly? That's silly. Or is it, is it Intentional. Let's start with this. Yeah, go ahead. It's a brand that's loyal to its investors. So it can drive more people to invest in That's kind of it. That's kind of it. It's a little more specific, but I kind of like the way you said that. I never, yeah, I guess, yeah. Here's the thing is, okay, let's say you're my son. I know, I know. Yeah, I left when you were young and. I you so much. I know, right? I mean, I tried to contact you, but your mother said if I came anywhere near you, she was going to kill me. And I mean, she was good with guns. God knows that's why I have that limp. But anyway, okay, every year I send you $500 at Christmas. Now, this year I've been in bad shape. I mean, it's just been one of those bad years. You know, the bail I had to pay that one time, and then those debt collector. I didn't have that much money. But I went and I scraped it together out of savings and all that so I could send you the $500. Why did I send you the $500? It's because you expected it. See, that's one of the big games in stock pricing is investor expectations. So the investors expected that nice fat dividend. And if we had cut the dividend, 
that would have sent a message to the investors that n everything was f not all right with the company. Have you ever been, well, you probably haven't. Back in my time, think about this. You got a party. Basically, it's not a party, it's a mosh pit. And, uh, you know, it's gotten out of hand and, you know, there have been firearms and, and pharmaceuticals, you know, good combination at a bad party. And there's music, it's grunge, it's grindcore, and then you see the police pulling up. Now, do you keep everything blasting? Or do you turn it all down and you open the door, hi, officer? You turn it down. Yeah, that's the whole point. It's even if there's internal turmoil in a company, just like a family, you all put on a front for the investors. Everything is cool, no need to worry here. And that's why you see companies, they will bust their butts to keep the dividend going strong. That was one of the things that I noticed, and I might have mentioned this before, is there were a couple of times in consulting where I had companies, they had gotten on their feet. They were underway and they were moving forward. And here comes one of those officers meetings, the executives get together and they look to me and they say, is it time for us to start paying a dividend? You know, because they hadn't been, they'd been plowing all their earnings back into the company. And there's two answers to that. One is yes, because that's going to increase the confidence, not of the average investor, but of those investors on Wall Street, if we start paying dividends. But the downside of that is once you start paying that dividend, you damn well better keep it going. And it better be as good, and eventually you better start growing that dividend. And if you're not ready to do that, you know, that, then you should not pay the dividend until you're ready to deal with that expectation that will be put on you by the heavy investors once you do that. And so that's why you will see a company like this. Let me, uh, let me show you another company that's in this situation. I think they're still in the situation. Ford. No, they backed off. <laughs> yeah, Ford was, Ford was actually paying a dividend more than their earnings at one point, but they've uh, kind of peeled back from that danger. But most companies, aren't going to pay a dividend more than what they make. They're plenty in good shape for that kind of stuff. Now, going on with this, the end of the, the big thing here that we uh, differ from, uh, from accounting in some major ways. We look at future expected cash flows. We look at opportunity costs instead of uh, receipts from the past. We look at the forward picture of what's going to happen. We look at replacement costs instead of historical book values of assets and all that kind of good stuff. So we are different, but we do use financial statements prepared by accountants to get to the point where we can do what we want to do. And what we want to do is to f find a marker that actually writes. Uh, bear with me one moment here. Does this one write? Ah, yes. Okay, so we are in the business of generating a number called free cash flow. Free cash flow is our thing. Now, free cash flow 
begins with something called NOPAT, Net Operating Profit After Taxes. Now, NOPAT is just a fancy way of saying earnings before interest in taxes times one minus the tax rate. That's all it is. Now, you'll see EBIT, sometimes that's called operating income or operating profit, something like that. And then we multiply by one minus the tax rate. Now, the tax rate since 2017 has been an appallingly low 21%. And it will stay that way a little longer until we can get some cooler heads prevailing in Congress. So we take no pat, and then we add back the depreciation expense, which never really happened, so it's not a cash flow, even though we subtracted it, we need to put it back. We leave it in the EBIT simply because of the tax shield it creates. And then we subtract capital expenditures and we subtract net operating working capital. Oops, the change in not net operating working capital. Now, write this down, for God's sake. It's easy points on a quiz or a test. If net operating income goes up, the effect on free cash flow is negative. Because your cap, your your short-term capital has or money, the short-term funds have absorbed cash. They've absorbed cash, and so it hurts free cash flow. Now, the change in net operating working capital is negative. Then that frees up cash. That frees up cash. Just remember that. I mean, I can put a problem that looks really hard. Uh, 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 but once you say, oh, all we do is net operating working capital is nothing but current operating assets minus current operating liabilities. Now, there's a difference between operating assets and just plain old assets. I can get into that a little bit, but don't sweat it. On one of my exams or quizzes, I mean, I'm not going to make a big stink, disti uh, distinction on that one. That's for people way above my pay grade to deal with. But I'm trying to think. See, one of the problems that I said, I told you this on um, Monday, and I got into the weeds in my short-term financial uh, cash management class was this ungodly thing with these financial statements these days. They can be all over the place as far as what they report, where they report it, and what they call it when they report it. And it just drives me up a wall. Let me try. Um, SEC.gov. Wow. I missed that one by a mile. SCC.gov filings. Company filing search. Now, let me pull up 
a company that I'm fairly sure will be reasonably uh, trustworthy. Pfizer. Now, I guarantee you that when I pull up one of these companies, and I like to do this on the fly, so you can see me struggling through it. 10K, they're filing. So you go sec.gov, you drop down my menu on filings, company filing search, then you type in the number, the trading symbol. You come over here on the left, on the right side, you click on the menu uh, plus button for the menu of 10K, and there's the 10K, February, February 23rd, 2023. That means that they have a calendar year, fiscal year. Okay. Now you click on the filing button. Don't click on the hyperlink, just click on the filing button. And you'll be taken to a screen, and on the right, on the left side, right about the middle is a blue button, interactive data. And I go through this so that when you listen to this in the podcast, you can actually walk it through yourself that way. Now you go here, you'll get a little yellow accordion drop down on the left side, right above that, it says view Excel document. And so we're going to pull up the financials of Pfizer. Enable editing. Okay, I keep doing this because I'm trying to get you into like a best practices way of doing this. Now I'm gonna get my income statement. There it is. Now the next thing I want is my Really? Am I? Oh, okay, Com consolidated statement of income. Now the next one looks like an income statement, but it's not exactly what you want. So you've got your income statement. Now we're gonna prowl along, and we need the balance sheet. That's not going to be it. A am I smoking crack or what? No, seriously, noobs, what? Did I miss the balance sheet? That's a statement of comprehensive income. No, it's not. There's my consolidated statement of income. Why don't they just call it an income statement? Okay, that one I don't want. The next one, there it is. See, I knew where it was. I just wanted you to see how difficult it is. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, now I'm going to scoot that over so that it's next to my income statement, the balance sheet. And one more that I'm going to need is my statement of cash flows. Statement of cash flows. Let me not take up too much time. There it is. And I bring it over here. Statement of income balance sheet. I'm going to put it over here. And I encourage you to do this, is just get your, your work environment set up so that the things that you're going to need, the income statement, the balance sheet, and the statement of cash flows, are all near each other. Now the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put in my own little worksheet, somewhere sandwich it into these ones, insert, right click, insert, a worksheet. Now this is going to be my calculation sheet for all of my stuff that I'm going to do. Calculations. 
Okay, I'm going to make that bigger so you can see it from the back. And here we go. Now, this is where I just pull numbers from the other sheets together in ways that I want them. When I'm going to look here. I'm going to need operating income. That's income statement. I'm going to need the tax rate. So why don't we just put that in there first? Tax rate. Now that's 21%. Now, if you've seen the book and the problems, you'll see that there's a place. I'm going to put this in. I'm just going to try to get all of the necessary crap in the front end. There's one, cost of capital. Now, where am I getting that? For now, I'm just getting, pulling it out of my butt. Just going to get a number, 10%. Let's say it's 10%. Okay. Now, those are the two numbers that are sort of external numbers that I'm going to need. Everything else is inside. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get my operating income. I'm going to get my uh, after tax EBIT. I'll put the sheet up for you later, okay? Uh, so you don't have to frantically run along here. Operating income, after tax, earnings before interest and taxes. What else am I going to need? I'm going to need my depreciation expense. What else am I going to need? I'm going to need my capital expenditures. And this one, the change in net operating working capital. This is going to be a side calculation. So, net operating working capital. So to do that, I'm going to need several numbers. I'm going to need the current assets. For two years, current, current assets. For two years, I'm going to need the current liabilities. And from those, I'll get the net operating working capital. And from the two net operating working capitals, I'll be able to get the um, change. Okay, so now a little trick, you may already know this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to indent these. Just so that I can see that these are going to be calculations. I'm going to do 2022. Wait a minute. Let me insert a row. Okay, I'm going to have 2022 
2021. Now we can go ahead. You notice what I do here is I set up everything that I'll need. I get all the tools in place and then I go after the numbers themselves. This is common in everything from working in a factory, working in your home, to whatever, is you develop this habit of just getting the resources together before you put them together. So the operating income for 2022 would be, go over here to the income statement and where the hell is the operating income? What do they call it? There it is. They call it income from continuing operations before provision benefits for taxes on income. No, that's not it, is it? For God's sake. Income from continuing operations. But that's not it. Where's the interest? Where's their interest? It's not there. Well, this sucks, doesn't it? You see it? There's a line that's completely missing. What would they be calling? Holy cow, they don't even write the interest expense. Research, selling and administrative, well, they've got depreciation, restructuring, other income, income from continuing operations before for tax, before provision for taxes but they're missing an interest expense line. Well, you know what I'm gonna to say to this? F it. Because you can't do it without the interest expense. Now, let me ask you, do you see the interest expense anywhere reported, being reported? Now, if I didn't report it, they'd put me in jail. You'd think that would be one that would be very much common, but it's not there. I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to go back and find another company because this company is not giving a crucial number to calculate free cash flow. Anyone got a better idea for a company? Come on, anyone? Try NVIDIA. Oh yeah, let's try NVIDIA. NVIDIA is in trouble. NVDA, that's actually a good company. Now NVIDIA has some pretty nasty rumors stirring about it. Interactive data. Get the Excel sheets for it. Now this one's going to, let's see how this one goes. NVIDIA. Okay, let's, before I do anything else, there we go. 
This one's easier. Look at this. They don't have depreciation expense, but we'll deal with that. That's good. Okay, we're in business. There's their income statement. There's their balance sheets. I can slide that over right next to the income statement. Consolidated statement of income. Consolidated statement of comprehensive. Where are the statement of cash flows? Statement of equity. Statement, statement of cash flows. So I can skid that over here. Consolidated statements of income. And so we got our balance sheet, our statement of cash flows, our income statement, and then, well, let me put the income statement over here with the balance sheet. And then I can scoot in, insert a worksheet, do calculations. That was amazing. And instead of killing myself, I'm going to copy this, control C, and I'm going to put it over here. Don't save. Yes. And I'm going to put it over here on this one. You can kiss my butt. There we go. Now we're back in business. Okay, now let's go. Depreciation, change. Oh, I got to do this over again. Capital expenditures. That's in the wrong place. Okay, yeah, no, everything's fine. Okay. And then we'll just insert, scoot that over like we did before. And now we're back in business. Operating income equals income from operations, right there. After tax, EBIT would be equal to that number times 1 minus my tax rate. Whoops. I put two minus signs there. Okay, now we're in business. Now I'm going to do something here. I'm going to make the tax rate an absolute reference. Use F4 because I'm going to slide these over to get a couple of years. So I'm going to make that an absolute reference. And then I'm going to close the parentheses. There we go. Now the depreciation expense equals. Now it should be here somewhere. We don't see it. That means that it is probably hidden somewhere in here. So we're going to have to add it back. And we can get it from the statement of cash flows. Depreciation and amortization. There. Now, capital expenditures. Now, this is the one, be careful on this one. Because, if go over here real quick. We're going to use cash from investing activities. That cash. Well, isn't that interesting? Look at that. Here's something weird. 
normally this will be a negative number. In this case, it's a positive number because they raised a huge amount of money by cashing in some securities that they had. So that was a massive source of cash. Now normally, and it, you can do it here, it's not going to hurt to do it here. Calculations. You do this one as an absolute value in case that number there in the statement of cash flows is a negative. Here it's a positive, but you're not going to have that happen hardly ever. Net cash from investing activities. That one. So just put it in absolute value because it's normally a negative. In this case, it's a positive. So, you know, okay, so change in net operating working capital, current assets, go to the balance sheet, and you get your total current assets, your current liabilities. You go to that same balance sheet and you get your total current liability. So the net operating working capital is current assets minus current liabilities. Notice something just real quick here. You notice that their current assets are a lot more than their current liabilities. That's kind of unusual. Usually they're fairly close to each other. Now the change, what we're going to do here is I'm going to scoot these numbers all over And for the change, I'm going to say that equals that number minus that number. Before I go on, the change is negative. Look at that. If the change is positive, you've drained cash. If the change is negative, you've added cash. Think about it this way. If I'm pouring more money into my current assets, for example, that's going to cause working capital to go up. But if I actually cut down my accounts receivable or I cut down on inventory, that frees up cash. That means that in this case, this was a source of cash for the company. Now we're still not finished yet. We gotta get free cash flow. Free cash flow. And that's, whoops. And now we can do it. Free cash flow, just follow the numbers. Equals notepad. after tax EBIT, plus your depreciation expense, minus your capital expenditures, minus your change in net operating working capital.
there you go. They had positive free cash flow for the year. Nothing, nothing complicated, it's just a calculation. You just do it carefully and you'll get to your answer fairly resolutely. Okay, so. Now let me go down here. The book and, and older books go through two metrics. The MVA and the EVA. I think those are, that's what the book, your book calls them. Now the MVA is the market value of the equity minus the book value of the equity. In this case, we have to go over to Yahoo Finance to get the market value. And I'm going to do NVIDIA, NVDA. Now the market value of NVIDIA is $1.116 trillion. That's insane. But here I'm going to give you a practical caution. Some numbers are not in the same units as others. This is 1.116 trillion. So if I were to express that in millions, in millions, that would be 116, 1 1.116. I'm trying to do this carefully because I screw this up so much. You would do one, one, I can't even remember that long. One, 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 six. Now that's millions. And then thousands, and then hundreds. Minus the book value of equity. Now here's the other place, because these are in millions already, so I, we're okay there. So in millions, the total shareholders' equity is 22101. Whoops. Where is my calculation sheet? So I'm going to put it equals there. And I'm going to say 2, 2. Ah, come on. 22.22101 million. So that would be 22. Geez, sorry, I can't keep these in my mind right now. 22.101 million. 22.101. Zero 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 zero. Is that right? The market value is this is negative, the MVA is negative. Let me check that again. You're right. One one okay, trillions. Hundreds? thousands, millions, you're right, zero, 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 right? 
hate it, hate it. And let's see this one. Two billion, okay. Hundreds, thousands, millions. I have to do this one as billions. God, I hate this. I'm not going to make you do anything this stupid. Okay. And let me go back here to this balance sheet. These were in millions. So that's stating 22,000, 22,101, 22, million. So, 22, well, yeah, then, wait, they're saying that the market value is 1.116 trillion. Now, if that number is correct there, the shareholder's equity is 22, 22 trillion. Is that right? That's in millions. And so that's saying 22 trillion. Am I looking at that right? Someone talk to me here. Because that's saying that NVIDIA is in a catastrophically negative position. Format the cells to a number hundreds. There's no way. Something has got to be whacked. Nvidia could not be in that bad a position. Okay, hundreds, thousands, millions, billions. Yeah, thank God. I was going to say, NVIDIA is in more trouble than I thought. Okay, so finally. Whoops. Oh, shut up. There we go. Thank God. Okay, so it's saying that the market value of the a company is what the market extra market the excess market value over book is hundreds thousands millions zero 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 yeah that's a big that's a big value that is what MVA uh, MVA is it's how much the market value exceeds the book value of the equity. How much the market value exceeds the book value of the equity. The problem with this number is that this is purely dependent upon the scale of the operations. This looks like a massive number, but at the same time, this number is on a company that is of enormous size. 
let me try something here. Let, let me uh, format the cells, and I'm going to use the number, and I'm going to use a thousand separator so I can see this better. Hundred thousand million billion. The this is saying that this company has a market value over book value of one trillion dollars, one point one trillion dollars. But how do you compare that to a company that would be of a smaller scale? You couldn't because each one is dependent upon the size of the numbers in that. That's why we're going to use another number here called book to equity. Book, um, I'm sorry, market to book. Now this is one that I'll cover more on Wednesday. Market to book takes the market value divided by the book value instead of the market value minus the book value. But anyway, let me do one more here, the EVA. The EVA, you take the NOPAT, so I'm going to say equals NOPAT. Right there. And then we subtract the sum of the equity and the long-term debt times the cost of capital. In other words, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, go over here to the balance sheet. How much have the shareholders kicked into this company? Now, there are some who would say that you use only the value, the additional paid in capital. Others would say you include the retained earnings. I'm going to use the one that's the total value of the stock of the company. And I'm going to add to that how much money has been put into the company as long-term debt by lenders. So this is the total amount of money both owners and lenders have put in what I've got in those parentheses. And then I'm going to multiply that by the company's cost of capital, which is averaging 10%. So in this case, I get about 1.043. That's the economic value of the company. Now let me put all that off to the side here. I'm not going to ask you this on a quiz or an exam, ever. But what I will ask you is another number. There's another number called market to book. What I do for this number is, I take the market cap of the company, which in this case is 1.16 trillion. Well, let me put that in millions. One, 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 six million. One, 1116 million. And then I'm going to divide that by the total shareholders' equity, which is 22, two point, well, actually, 
in millions. And I hate these numbers. I hate these numbers. I'm going to take that and I'm going to divide it by twenty two whoops whoops I'm sorry that number now I'm probably going to have to scale this what did I do wrong there let me do it again I'm going to take one trillion one hundred sixteen million divided by the consolidated balance sheet which in this case would be is that twenty two trillion is that right billions. that's billions yes so I'm going to have to actually encapsulate that Now, let me do it this way. Yeah. No, I can do it th this way. I'll just simply divide that by 100. Divide that by 1,000, actually. There. What this number tells you this is what's most important. This number tells you for every dollar that owners have put in by buying stock or not getting dividends from retained or from in net income, how many, how many dollars has the company turned that into? So if this number is saying, just basic, basically saying, how many dollars did every dollar of ownership money put in become? Again, how many dollars of ownership money did every dollar of owner's money put in become? In this case, every dollar that stockholders put in or didn't get dividends for, that turned into $50.50. .50 of of value to them. The market to book is a much better measure because it is not dependent upon the scale of the operations. So in other words, if I came up with a number like market to book was 7.5 every that would say that every dollar that investors put in in by buying stock or not getting dividends, just letting the company plow dollars back in from net income, that would turn in, that has turned into $7.50. There's not a good way to explain this, and I, you will see it on Wednesday, and I'll make sure that I get some sensible examples. The problem, then, you see it right here, is that some numbers are in trillions, some are in millions, but overall, let me do one more thing for you real quick. 
I'm going to pull up one more sheet. Let me save this one. File, save as, um, financial report, um, NVDA. Now let me pull up just very quickly one more. No, I don't want Edge for God's sake. Oh, that was a mistake. I'm trapped. I can't get out of it. Close. Uh oh, I've made I've made Edge the browser. That's a disaster. Look at a look at a smaller operation. Let's look at one like, for example, um, very quickly something that would be modest that wouldn't be an insane thing. And all I can think of is they're big companies. Oh well, I'll think of one on Wednesday. But for now, this is all you have today. I thank you.